That was awesome. Hi, Elliot. Hey, Ellen. How's it going? It's going. Yeah? It's going. Sick. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Here's What We Know. With Ellen and Elliot. It's been a bit of a hiatus. It has. we're, We're back with a vengeance. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Well, I was I'll just show myself out. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're back. I am eating chicken piccata for the second time while recording. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> the first time I made Elliot help me make it in the apartment. Yeah. Well, we had to We had to deal with, like, the Sylvia Plath oven, though, the first time around. <laughs> yeah. It was nuts trying to get that oven to work Elliot's kitchen is... Four feet by four feet. No, not even. Well, how many square feet would you? I, I'd say that's maybe. I, I feel like you could <laughs> set like a child down on the floor in there and you couldn't put it down horizontally. Right. You, you, no, there's no way a If you lay fit. down in there, you wouldn't be able if, to If I laid down in there, we'd have to get the fridge out of there, okay? We're calling the fire department. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get a crane. <laughs> crane. <laughs> oh, but so I'm happy and... I'm glad you're happy. That's good. Happy is good. I haven't been happy since 1997, so that's a that's a nice change of pace. Oh God. This is our tenth episode, Elliot. This is number ten. This is number ten. Really? Really? This is our tenth episode. Do you doubt me? No, I I just saw. I guess I was looking on Instagram today, and there were ten pictures on. So I thought we'd already done 10. No, one was a little one. preview. Oh. So this is a big deal. This is huge. 10. It's ten. the number of, of ten. people I've hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you've hurt 10 it's people? probably more than that. You've done, Well, I was going to say, you've done pretty well for yourself, then, considering <laughs> it's only 10. Yes, 10. The number of... I thought you were going to finish. I, I, I don't have anything. I don't know. I 10 is not a significant number to me. What was your life like when you were 10? Let's see. That was fourth grade. Star Wars Episode 3 came out. That was mm, about it. See? Good year. That was year. a huge thing for me. That was ten a huge is good. thing. I skipped school for that. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. lit. Yeah. Well, we are super excited for our guest today. Yo. But since we real. haven't seen each other in a while, we also haven't done an episode where one of us talks. We gotta do some talking. We gotta. We gotta exchange some open thoughts. Those <laughs> open those <floodgates>. drawers. <laughs> floodgates. Yeah. Well, floodgates for sure. What did I try to say earlier? That was crazy. Uh, st- pulling straws instead of pulling teeth is what you said. Yeah. That was good. I'm gonna. It was use like that. pulling straws. <laughs> so easy. And <laughs> just here we. Oh, surprise! Surprise! Another one. It was just nuts. Ooh. Oh. Anything else? What's uh, what's new in your life? Mm, not much. I haven't been um, I haven't been working much uh, acting wise. Uh, I'm trying to do two films at the same time now, which is really challenging. Wow! Look but, at you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> two yeah. at once. Two. At, I I don't like to do that, um, but it's just been so hard to schedule. The first one, so yeah. I just scheduled to do the second one in a weekend in June, so. Got it, got it. Yeah, got yeah, it, yeah. It. Speaking of two, Ellie and I <laughs> just found out that we have officially. Oh, yeah. Made a profit from this podcast, which is really, I mean, it's all we wanted. We don't <laughs> yeah. care. We're, in, we're, in, we're not in this for the fun. <laughs> we're in this for the 
funny. We actually hate each other, so it's <laughs> it's been hard. Frankly, um, we have something to show for it in the amount of two dollars and fifty cents. Don't spend it all in one place. Oh, I don't think I can spend it in any place. <laughs> you couldn't with your lavish habits. How dare you? I can make two fifty. <laughs> you can stretch two fifty out. <laughs> a joint and a no. I'm just kidding. I wish I could get a two fifty joint. Boy, I've never bought marijuana in my life, and I'm scared. Why? It's oh, I have a really funny story about that. Actually, Please. when I got when I the delivery guy came over yesterday, and I got into the car. Wee -wee. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he comes over. I get into the car. And he literally... Wait, you have to get into the car? Yeah, that's how it works that's here. That's so fucking sketchy. Yeah, it, it is. It is. But you have to get in the car to exchange the money and the thing. Because it's still not, you know... Well, I've actually been in an apartment when someone else got weed delivered. And they came inside and they presented a smorgasbord. Right, yeah. What that, is that? That's something that's else? A to that's like when they... That, that's a different thing. That's like trying to get you to do all these buy things. buy a ton of stuff. I, I, What I do is I text a number. I get... Uh, a menu to choose from. I pick the things I want, and wow. then they come, and then I, um, and then oh I pay my for gosh. it. So I get into the car with this guy. It's been nice knowing you. It's, I'm I'm gonna be gone. Um, uh, I'm leaving the country. Um, <laughs> uh, but I got into the car, and it's this white guy, twenty something, sitting uh, in the driver's seat, and he's like, he turns to me, and he just like goes, and he's like, I'm just playing, and then we. Oh, and I'm like, I felt like I was just in a vine. Like he just literally said a bunch of gibberish and then just went, I'm just playing. And then we both, we pumped fists and then I left. And I'm still trying to understand what happened there. It was so quick. It was like being in a vine. It was seven seconds. It was just like, I'm just playing, man. What? Okay. Was he blonde? No. Brunette. Okay, because I have a friend, Johnny, Johnny Cox. Johnny Cox. Who thinks it's the funniest thing to talk to people in this, like, fake language he has. And it makes me viscerally angry. Like, he'll do it around me and I'll be like, oh my god, it's not fucking funny, Johnny. <laughs> like, and he knows, so he does it. He'll be like, shruggish. Like, he just, like, talks to, like, bartenders and, like, people. And they'll just be like, what? Like, no one is having it. That's like what Kyle Mooney did. He'd go around and make these just YouTube mumble. videos where he'd be like, so is it Sperry's or is it Boulder? And then he'd like put the mic <laughs> over to the other person and be like, what? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. I'm nervous about you getting into random cars because I've been watching that show Killing Eve. Have you seen yeah. that? Have you seen it? <laughs> yes, I love Killing Eve. Did you finish it? I haven't finished it yet. Ooh, baby. Okay, but I'm scared. Like, now I'm walking around... Wondering who, like, who's gonna just like slit my throat with a razor at any point, you know? Oh, God. Or like, what crazy assassin is gonna come after me? <laughs> well, we're not important people, though. Yeah, but if you're getting into a sketchy car, listen. If I'm, I, I have the luxury, the intense luxury of being a six foot one heavy set. Yeah, but you look like a detective. You look <laughs> like you're busting their. <laughs> yeah. This but then you sting. open your mouth and they're like, never mind. <laughs> no, cool. this guy's not a cop. <laughs> I don't know what this guy is. Came in on a time machine. You're like, machine. howdy doody, what's going on today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it finally comes out. Ellen's impression of me. And it's howdy doody. <laughs> okay, wow. I've heard it all now. Oh, I have heard it all. All right. Should I get into this? Yeah. Okay. Give me, give me your spiel. 
All right. The whole schmear. Well, I haven't talked about something or taught you about something that I was passionate about in a while. And so I chose something that I feel very, very excited about. Mm -hmm. And that is... I would like to walk you through why Celine Dion is one of the most incredible people in the entire world. That's phenomenal because I only know her from the Titanic song. Really? I think so. And a really mean joke about her. Oh, do you want to share it? Do no. You want, it'll hurt your feelings if you like Celine Dion. No, tell me. Tell me. Okay. It's just me. It's <laughs> just something that my friend's dad in third grade told me at a picnic where he was like, a horse walks into a bar, bartender gives him a drink. Celine Dion walks into the bar. Bartender says, why the long face? Because she looks like a horse? Because she's got a longer face than a horse <laughs> is, the, is the mean joke there. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I don't I think like she has... some tweaking that needs to happen. Well, it wasn't my joke, mind you. This was a friend's dad in third grade at a picnic joke. Okay. So okay? he's teaching you to be offensive to women early. That's how it starts. Yes. You, you know, it really starts... At the early age, you plant the seeds of being an absolute <laughs> shit. But I, so I'll be honest, I also don't know that much about her. Like, I don't know a lot of Celine Dion's music. I know maybe the hits. But I somehow over the years have become obsessed with her just as a personality. Mm -hmm. And still don't listen to her music. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's really fascinating because I didn't even realize she had that much of like a, 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 a presence outside of the music. No, okay, so she has a very specific presence, which I think is only appreciated by, like, middle-aged white women. <laughs> but it's, like, a cult following. So yeah. let me just, I'll dive into this. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. just, I just wanted to start with some of the numbers. Uh -huh. Some Please, of the yeah. stats. Give, give me the stats here, yeah. So she has recorded, okay, this is all from Wikipedia and uh, Reddit and different sources, so, like, I could be wrong. But this is what I, in my research, I have I found. love it. She's recorded 27 albums, 15 of which were in French and 12 in English. Right. She's been on 15 different tours with just her music between 1983 and 2019, currently. She's had two residencies in Vegas, one which was from 2003 to 2007, which is wow. already, that's so long to be in Vegas. Yeah. Like I couldn't do it. You, I, I don't do even want to spend a single today. day. Exactly. And then she did another residency from 2011, and it's still going in 2019. She's still in Vegas She's right now? She's still there. Yo, She's not for me. There. That's but, And my last day is June 8th, so we got to go, like, now. Yeah, let's get those tickets <laughs> and get out. What, 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 what place is she at? Where, where, where is she? They built a, a facility just for her called the Coliseum. That's, like... A fake coliseum, and it's just for her residency there. Is it at like Caesar's Palace? Is that yes, like, I okay. think so. Yeah, yeah. And that 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 um that residency from 2011 to today has grossed 250 million dollars. <laughs> Isn't that? That's more than a cult following. It's crazy. That's wild. And um, her net worth as just a person is 700 million dollars that's good that's can you good. imagine that's insane yeah that's the good stuff so just that's just like the numbers that's just like on paper she's incredible yeah i don't know how someone does she has five grammys she's just oh, wow yeah um but she's also been through like a lot of shitty things in her life 
Um, she, not that this is a shitty thing, but she was one of 14 children. Oh, shit. And, um, she was born in Canada, in Quebec, which, like, <laughs> how, I don't get how somebody does anything when they're one of 14 children. Like, <laughs> how are you not just trying to get the, your share of dinner at yeah. the table? Like. That's like some cheaper by the dozen. <laughs> Yeah, and then Ashton Kutcher walks in. Oh, right. He is the oldest <laughs> kid, isn't he? Or he's the boyfriend? Is, is he the boyfriend? He's the boyfriend that comes in and they all don't like him? Or oh, something? that's right. Or Maybe? is that Cheaper by the Dozen 2? It might be too. I, there's, I, I don't know why these are the films that I've seen, but like... I've seen both of them too. I, right? I saw them in hotel rooms. Perfect. Yeah. Yes, that sounds about correct. I, as a kid, never liked movies like Home Alone or Cheaper by the Dozen or you didn't um, like Home Alone. or anything where people were getting like injured or like embarrassed. <laughs> I would get really upset. I was just such an empath. I was like, no, don't put that pie in his face. Like, See, I love it when people get injured. No, I love it. It's so funny. My uncle dropped a glass jar of peanut butter on his foot in British Columbia and then jumped around, smashed into the fridge, the fridge <laughs> open, and then he fell into the closet. And I laughed for literal days. Oh, all right. Celine. All right. Yeah. Celine, back to Celine. She, when she was 12, she composed her first song, which her brother heard and recorded and sent to a music manager whose name is Renee. Angelil. I don't know if that's how you say it, but yeah. Who, Sounds legit. Who heard the recording and mortgaged his home to fund her first album. Wow. So you can imagine how incredible that one song must, must have been from a 12-year-old. Um, then at age 18, she was sent by that manager to polish up her English so that they could start advertising her music and creating music in English. Um, and two years later, after she learned English, she made her first debut single in English. It's just a little fuck back for you. Wow, wait, so was her first album at 12? Somewhere around there, yeah. That's bananas. Like, young. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but right. yeah. Um, and then, surprise, <laughs> she gets married to that manager. The guy who mortgages his house? <laughs> yes. Shit. How, what's the age gap there? 26 years in between them. So he saw her as a 13-year-old. We won't get into that, but let's just But that's say a very, you know, that's such a common thing in music. Specifically really? of older mentor. men mentors who, you know, kind of <laughs> shape these women and these young girls yeah. and eventually start sleeping with them. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. quote unquote kosher. But. Right. So she, I think, I believe she was 21 when they started dating. Okay. Um, and they were married in 1994. A, uh, A fine year. Right. Good year. <laughs> Someone was born that year. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. I was 95. 95. Yeah. Well, it's year of the pig this year. Your year. Excuse me? 95 is the year of the Did pig. Did you just call me a pig? No, it's just the Chinese zodiac. It's actually a boar. Is it a boar? See, it's always year of the pig whenever I read it. <laughs> um, so they were happily married, blah, blah, blah. They toured together all the time. And over the years, he actually, unfortunately, was battling with cancer several times. So... She was taking off to take care of him oh, um, and all this stuff. And then actually he passed away in 2016. Oh, God. Um, 
from cancer and two days later her brother died also of cancer Oh, um, no. And he was 59, her brother Daniel. So she took a break from her Vegas uh, residency, obviously. Right. But then she came back and kept doing it, which is like... Gotta stay busy. But I wouldn't even expect that of... Like, who? what fan would be like, I paid for my Vegas <laughs> slot machine? Uh, I think you've answered the question oh, for yourself God. with your impression. That's true. <laughs> Um, and then also when she, this is really upsetting, when she was, uh, I don't know how old Celine was, but when her niece was 16, her niece died of um, cystic fibrosis. Oh my God. And reportedly in in her arm, in Celine's arms, like passed away. So like she's just like experienced a lot of crazy shit and like, I can't imagine experiencing that amount of loss Um parallel to this crazy successful life like that must just be such a weird juxtaposition mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i don't know what else to say about it but it's just like yeah i mean you've been in you've been grossing millions of dollars and performing your songs like every night and this is happening on the side yeah it's, like, it's... Whew, messed up oh, that's anyway idea. some more upbeat topics Ooh. <laughs> I just wrote, she is insane. Yeah, I love that. It's all in caps. <laughs> she is... Okay, I want to... At some point, I'm going to make you watch a video. Actually, it might be right now. Cool. Um, of her... There's this, this was all inspired by a video I came across several years ago that's just titled, Celine Dion is Amazing. <laughs> and it's just like a compilation of her being really fucking weird and like kooky and like just like insane. Um, but she's just... She's just like the queen of physical comedy. Really? She's so fucking funny with her body on stage. Like she's just, she's the epitome of like whatever comes through her. She just like lets it, like she just does so many weird <laughs> arm movements and crazy <laughs> facial expressions. Um, and she also has like a song to go with everything. So a lot of her interviews are really hard to watch because they'll ask her a question and she'll just sing a song back. <laughs> like, like, I love that. I'm all alone. There's no one here beside me. And it's like <laughs> someone from BBC trying to interview. She's like, no. my troubles have all gone. <laughs> I'm Elliot Masters on the BBC. <laughs> um, and my favorite, my favorite anecdote of her, just in general, but of her being like, just very interesting person, is this other video that I'll show you as well. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have you, we'll do a live reaction. <laughs> Great. Where she, I guess they must have, there must have been this woman that was like kind of, that was very drunk and like a little belligerent and maybe uh -oh. like yelling or like trying to touch her or something at a show, like from the front row. And she brought her on stage to, to just have like a nice moment with her, I guess. And she's trying to talk to this drunk woman and the woman puts her leg around and essentially just starts humping her uh -oh. and like trying to yell into the microphone. And she's so professional and just, like, chill about it and, like, makes it a joke. And then it's, like, the security guards are coming on. They're trying to take this woman off. And she's, like, no, no, she's fine. She's fine. Like, don't worry about it. And then once the woman eventually gets off the stage, she gives this whole weird speech about, like, 
you know, people are really going through some things sometimes and we just, they just need to talk and we just have to listen to them. You know, we just have to give them the space to talk. Oh, wow. So she's like this beautiful, just like really strange, amazing woman. And now I'm going to make you watch this video. Yes, I got to watch him. Um, also, there's a, for anyone who wants to dive deeper into this topic, <laughs> there is a Reddit uh, page that's for her fans that is just like people posting like any everything about her it's very strange but that's where i got a lot of my information all right let's start with let's start with woman hump celine dion on stage in las vegas hd word this was in 2018 here we go I think what we should do is we should have you listen to it with headphones. No. No. <laughs> I don't know what makes sense audio-wise. Uh, I think it's fine if they hear it and me. I think it's kind of funny. Okay. All right, ready? Let me tell you something. I'm glad you came up on stage tonight. I'm glad that I thought you just wanted to come closer to me. But you know what? I'm glad you came closer to me. <laughs> She's humping her. Oh my ish. god. Ish. Yeah. She starts singing, I love you. You can leave her hand, but stay with her because she'll need her. But look at me. I'm go we all better forgive you a hand, but don't touch me. <laughs> something in common we got babies that we love and we're gonna fight for them and we're wearing gold that's a sign You're so right, she's so professional. I don't know where I am, but please stay with me. But you know what? Some people go through a lot. <laughs> and some people need to talk. I love that you put the cursor right to the moment. You timed it just fine. It's like, and then let's skip ahead, and then you play it, and then it's what you just said she said. Mm -hmm. Oh God! Uh oh! Our guest! Our guest! Our guest! <laughs> okay. Pause. Welcome back from Welcome our break. Welcome back from the break. The uh, anchor advertisement hopefully was 
soothing to the ears. Hopefully it made us 15 more cents. I need 15 <laughs> more cents or I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be out of the button into the fuck this month. Let me just <laughs> um, But we are back with our guest who we hear also likes Celine Dion. <laughs> marvelous, marvelous turn of events. I don't think I, I, you know, other people might dislike or have strong opinions on her. I actually find her very talented. And- yes! <laughs> here with Charlie Greenwald's known Celine Dion fan. Um, yeah, we just did a bit about how I think she's the best person in the world, so I'm yeah. glad you agree. Is she in Vegas still? She is in Vegas until June 8th of this year. Wow. She's been there since 2011. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So. And before that, she was there. No, so it was 2011 to like, no, you're right, you're right. It was like it was 20, 20, 2004 to Something 2007, crazy. I thought. Right? She is cool. Las Vegas. Yeah. Basically, she lives in the Coliseum. Yeah, yeah. Lives in the Coliseum. I feel like more musicians are gonna start doing that now, but in New York, you know, like Mm. Bruce Springsteen was here, and oh yeah, I think um, I think Morrissey is like playing like a couple weeks at a Broadway theater. Oh wow! So I think more musicians are gonna come through New York and do like the residency thing. Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, it's a good gig, you know, just keep playing like the same venue over and over again. Oh yeah. I mean, what's better than that? Good, but like. Doesn't it get old so fast? Oh, it all gets old. Yeah. Yeah. It all gets so fucking old. I did a Shakespeare tour for three months, and I was ready to blow my brains out. (laughs) But I think, too, when you're you're super famous and when you're in, you know, when you're in the back half of your career, there's probably something nice about, like, waking up in the same bed. That's true. You know, not, like, grinding, going out from city to city, Mm -hmm. you know, showing up at the venue, eating, like, lobster and, you know... (laughs) Uh, Gotta have my shellfish. Crudite, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then waltzing on, performing 15 of your greatest hits to your (laughs) biggest fans. Crazy fans. Speaking of shows, Shows. what we're here to talk to you about today. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about it. Shows, shows, shows on shows. So many shows. Do you guys want to share, uh, Elliot, maybe? Do you want to share how you and Charlie were recently involved? How we were recently involved. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I wasn't sure I was ready for anything, but when you you know, you know. And we knew. Um, (laughs) uh, Here's what we know. Here's what we know. We knew. Yeah, I mean, like, Charlie had this incredible show at Emerson that uh, was put up, and I saw it every night. The three nights that it played in the in the, the black box theater. I also saw it. Uh, and uh, Charlie came up to me one of those nights and uh, he told me how grateful he was to have somebody who was just like fucking guffawing in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, and I was just in the yeah. back, just like laughing out of my ass the whole time. I mean, I was really working my pelvic floor. <laughs> those nights. You're doing just, kegels. Oh yeah, I was. Just, ha, ha, ha! I was just in the back. Losing my goddamn mind. And then, you know, that was it. And uh, I didn't really... I don't think I saw you once after that. No. No, we... Had we you mainly... guys met before? No, I, it, I... Not really. No, I really... I had met you. We'd been informally introduced during yeah. the show. We had mainly floated in different circles, but at the show, I do remember Jeremy and I went up to you because we we both were like, that guy like was the biggest <laughs> fan of the play. And I said to you, I was like, thank you for laughing. As you said, thank you so much for laughing so heartily. 
And then I think I've, you know, at one or two other occasions, I saw you at shows and stuff. And right. I said, hey, Elliot, yeah. how are you? You know, and I think I did see you perform once or twice. I saw the play that you were in with Dallas. Dallas Seeker, who was mm. in Surprising Simon oh, at Emerson. Oh, that Twilight that Zone play, show. Yeah, post-apocalyptic I, thing. Yes, yeah. Yeah, which was good. Was and I really show. enjoyed you in that. Jamie Davenport's a good writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah to answer, answer your question, Ellen, um, you know, we did the show at Emerson and then years passed and I've been living in New York City and we, Jeremy and I, um, I, I certainly wanted to do another reading of it at some point. Because it's, you know, when you go through this experience of you, you, uh, you write a show and then it lives and you see it kind of come alive. It's such a high. Mm-hmm. Like, I really couldn't even describe, like, the feeling of watching, like, the actors and the characters, like, being these parts that Jeremy and I wrote. Jeremy Vandruff, who I co-wrote the show with. It was, like, such a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I would love to experience that feeling again. But it's really hard to get your play accepted to playwriting competitions. I've submitted to hundreds over the years, um, some really? of which cost money and others are completely free. Yeah, they're all like, for this show or for different things? All for this show. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I've written one or two other things. Jeremy and I, we wrote a, a spec script for Seinfeld, but that obviously <laughs> that wouldn't go anywhere, you know, because that shows off the air. And then we also wrote a pilot um, for a TV show that was based off of... Um, you know his experience working at a sober house facility, and so Wait, can you quickly just go over the plot of the Seinfeld spec? <laughs> I'm, I'm rewatching Seinfeld. Me on too. Right now. Me too. Oh, yeah, I, I love Seinfeld. I, I hadn't it's, seen it in so many years. Not since I was a kid when it was like on TV in the '90s, and my parents were watching it every night. I barely remember. It was something about George like getting lost in Central Park and stumbling into a wreck basketball game, <laughs> something like that. It was very George centered, and we, I, you know, I remember abandoning it. Um, because I, you know, writing for TV is very hard. Writing for theater, I think, is a little bit easier because you don't have to put in all these little, like, you know, uh, right. Certainly, writing for TV, there's a lot of little directions that you have to put in, like so and so crosses, or um, you know, exterior. They're in this house, or mm-hmm. this goes out. There's a lot of a lot more like technical things that you have to insert into the script. The formatting, is yeah, a the nightmare. formatting is a nightmare. There's a software called Final Draft that a lot of people use to write pilots um mm-hmm. but i never bought it um and jeremy and i we just wrote the show on word and there were literally no stage directions we just wrote basically the characters and then i had to go back later and write little things in to mm-hmm. um certainly enhance the reading that we did in the city but a lot of getting the reading off the ground for me was contacting a venue that would host it um Getting nine actors, all of whom were friends or people mm-hmm. that I knew from school who I thought were talented. And then finding a day, finding a, the right time, making sure Jeremy could be there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like coordinating. Um, I printed out all the different scripts and, you know, it doesn't sound like hard. It's like you just, everybody's just reading the lines. Mm-hmm. But I had to invite people, make sure that the crowd was full. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. At Emerson, the first time you did the play, did you you directed it as well? No. Someone else directed it. Yeah, the way it worked was there was a theater festival competition with Rare Works Theater Company. 
this was the Jamie Davenport mm-hmm. who wrote a play. I don't remember what it was called. It was called like A Planet All Your Own. A Planet. Okay, that's mm. good. Good memory. A Planet All Your Own. <laughs> good memory uh, of the play that you were. Yeah, in. yeah, you were in it. I wasn't <laughs> fucking in it. I don't remember. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. Of course you fucking. Well, that co- well that cost you sponsors. Okay. Fuck <laughs> sponsors. <laughs> Fuck them. This podcast has been sponsored by fucking... <laughs> by fucking. Just fucking. <laughs> by fucking, wow. The world's oldest profession. <laughs> um, my neighbors want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Good. I hope your neighbors Do your neighbors have sex a lot audibly <laughs> that you guys can hear? Is this a sore subject for you? But I want to hear about this. Oh. Uh, no, we I, do absolutely swear on this podcast. Lovely. Yeah. It is great. Um, but... Um, <laughs> were we, talking about? we were talking about the theater company <laughs> oh, yeah. at right, Emerson yeah. called Rareworks, and they do this amazing thing every year where uh, students submit plays and they pick two winners and they produce them that year as part of their season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like really legit. You know, mm-hmm. the theater majors at school, the people who build the sets, the people who are directing, the people, yeah, people who are doing theater at Emerson invest in your show. There's a casting process. Yeah. I think common odds. There's a com- there's a common odds. Yeah. They get, we get money from the school uh, to produce these shows. Yes. I was on the board of Rareworks. I was on the board. I was actually on several of the boards and I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it was it was what brought me to Emerson was it's the ability to do your own work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was kind of the crown jewel for me of going to Emerson. Were you on the board that selected Charlie's play? No, I wasn't on the board by that point. I was on the board <laughs> by the following year. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, well, we hey, I wasn't that, in it. But... I, what did I get out of it? I I just laughed in the back the first time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but I, I didn't saw get a you. I saw you in the audience and I went, that guy, he'll be great in this show if it ever lives again. He's a star. That guy's a star. Um, I mean, Charlie, feel free to to deny this, but do you you want to give like a little spiel of what your play is about? I mean... I feel like it's going to have a life beyond this most Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, and it's, it's so, so incredibly good. funny. It's so nice of you to say, man. And um, thank you so much. I'm going to pour a little bit more wine. Oh, yeah. We're having red wine for Charlie because Charlie said, I don't really drink that much, but I do like red wine. And so I, I took do, that as permission to... I do like red wine. Red wine is... I, I don't really drink beer. Um, Me neither. Which is what most people yeah. seem to enjoy drinking after work and, you know, on the weekends mm-hmm. and stuff, unless it's hard alcohol. And I don't really like that either. I much prefer, like, having a glass of red wine. Yeah. Um, so thank you for getting this and sharing it. But um, the play is basically about, um, just to give you a brief background on on how we wrote it, Jeremy Vandroff, who's a pretty much my best friend, uh, super close friend of mine, we met at school, and we were hanging out one day and we went to see a production of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and favorite. it's Did the you best. To the Sweeney Todd episode of Not yet, but really? I would love to. <laughs> I got really drunk and I sang all the parts of that show. Wow, I would love to hear that. Um, After this recording, Ellie will do a private showing. <laughs> oh, that, well, maybe if we had more wine. Well, there's liquor in there too, so I might just go for that. <laughs> That's I'll a great show, my man. Grape with my rye. Oh, I love Sweeney Todd. I, have you seen the one, the, the televised one <laughs> yes. from the 1980s with Angela Lansbury? Of course, I've I, seen all the I, versions of it. I it's have, amazing. Oh, it's the best it's show ever. so fucking good. It's so it's good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Angela Lansbury's incredible. I mean, I loved the Michael Severus, Patty. Oh, the one where they where they play where the instruments were on stage. There was a televised version with Emma Thompson that came out a couple years ago. That was was pretty good. That was the that was the one where it's just 
uh, it's just the concert version. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. They break the piano. Did you see it in New York at the Barrow Street? No, Theater I where... wanted to see that. That was the one with Norm. Yes, right? yeah. That was he was unbelievable. Was he good? Oh, yeah, I'm so it was happy amazing. But anyway, Jeremy and I had seen a production of Sweeney Todd, and we both kind of said to ourselves. God damn it, theater's so great. <laughs> we God were just moved by the experience of seeing live storytelling. So we came back to my apartment and we like kicked around ideas um, for writing a show. And we had initially envisioned this idea about a guy in a coma. And different characters kept shuffling into his, into his hospital room and confessing dark secrets to him because he couldn't, you know, he was out and knocked out and um, couldn't hear anything. And then halfway through the show, he wakes up. And then the second act is about all these characters, like, trying to suss out whether or not he heard what they said. Um, Charlie, and you got to write that. I think you still have to write. That's a really good someone's setup. Gonna, someone's going to steal that idea, I'm telling you. <laughs> we'll, we'll redact it. We'll redact it. But, uh, but we decided, yeah, redact that. <laughs> Bleep it out. In fact, never air this show. No, wait, no, it's, it's, it's going straight into the vault. They'll find it when we're dead. <laughs> but um, but we, we quickly decided that drama was just really not our bag. I certainly. Oh, that was going to be a drama. Yeah, that could uh, yeah. easily be a comedy. As well. I think you could. I think it could be a really great comedy. I think you could really. Yeah. You could really do a great. Job hey, wait a minute! I know what those guys. <laughs> did you just tell me you murdered someone? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a musical. Yeah, it's a musical. Um, I can buy that. But we, Jeremy and I, instantly were like, "This is not." You know, this is I can't do this. I can't I can't dig into the into dark storytelling. It's just not who I am. If we're going to write anything together, it's got to be a really goofy comedy. Mm -hmm. And I think I came up with the idea of a surprise birthday party where all of the people who like kept arriving were not supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. um, and that was essentially in my mind is from what I can remember. I think I came up with the idea because it's loosely based off of there's a whose line is it anyway sketch where the character, one of the one of the cast members, be it Colin Mockery or, you know, Wayne Brady or whoever, they're like hosting a party yeah. and in comes a character and they have to figure out who it is. Mm. And it's usually it's like some great, ridiculous description. It's a great bit that they do when Ryan smashes his head into the into the <laughs> lights when he's pretending to be um, uh, what a bird or a T Rex or he, something. He I can't even remember. To be what's your name? The first lady of the American stage. Um, what? Carol a bird Channing. Or a yeah, he, Carol Channing, who's magnetically attached to <laughs> Drew's desk, and he smashed his oh, head that's into what the it glass. Is. And yeah. like, Just pull the glass out of my hair. <laughs> so good. I anyway. said a bird because I. I <laughs> Oftentimes in that show, they'll play like it's, animals. It's an, yeah, it's a full. Carol Channing, Channing is, is also an animal. <laughs> I mean, there is no denying Carol Channing. What an animal! But um, but then that's how we wrote it, and we came up with that idea of this girl's throwing a surprise birthday party for her brother, but she accidentally has invited like a bunch of people that mm. are not supposed to be there and make things very awkward. And that was mm. kind of the, the the loose plot of it. So that's awesome. Yeah, and it was, and you so you saw it at Emerson. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you it. did get to see it, and um, you know, I know that you weren't able to go to the reading, but um, I thought the production at Emerson was was great. Oh, yeah. And this was a different experience because I cast entirely new people. Mm -hmm. Were you in the casting room when they did it at Emerson? Yes, for I was actually, and it was interesting because the woman who directed it was Madison Garinger, who is a really funny director, really liked the play. And we just didn't really want to step on her toes. I think I was more at that. That was funny. Remember I said to you guys earlier, like, 
watching your play come alive is like it is like a euphoric thrill. Mm-hmm. Um, it re- like 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 cloud nine, maybe like the the happiest and most excited that I've ever felt in my life. Mm-hmm. And certainly, it first started when the play was picked. I was psyched, and then a couple weeks, flash forward a couple weeks. You know, Rareworks is starting to put it together and they're like, Charlie and Jeremy, come to Common Odds and you can sit in on the audition room. And Jeremy and I both were like, we're not going to like tell Madison what to do. She's directing the show. We had input. We were like, that guy was great or that girl was really funny. But generally, we were just in the audition room to like watch people try to be the parts. And (laughs) that was really, really fun. And I think more than anything, it was just like us like they were doing it to us as a, as a favor and like a kindness to be like you know you want to come in and like watch people try out but I, I was like Madison these are it's your decision to pick whoever you want for the show so we didn't really have much like influence or sway mm. in that in mm. that regard well I think I mean both both iterations of it the casting is it was pretty remarkably solid I mean every part uh, both times I was like yeah this is what was um, the the role that you were playing. So, do you remember when in the production at Emerson there was that kid Justin Masters who was the IT guy who freaked out yeah. and pulled out the knife? That was you just fucking gave away the whole plot, Elliot. It's not the whole plot. That's a great <laughs> bit. Redacted. Redacted. This episode's going in the vault. It's got to go right into the vault. I mean, we've just given away too many spoilers. Well, <laughs> redacted. I'll just, you know what you could do after this? I'll get. I'll just record myself saying "redacted" four or five times, and you right. can just. Run it over. Yeah, but I'm gonna put it into slow motion so yeah. it's like slow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Stretch it. it over the whole sentence. Um, yeah. So you were a creepy IT guy. Yeah, I was a creepy IT guy. Yeah, the plot nice. of the show is, you know, I mean, I, I'm happy to. I, I don't really think that like there's a lot of spoilers to, at play here because it's a very goofy ass <laughs> show. Yeah. But the plot of the show is this girl's hosting a surprise birthday party for her brother. She accidentally invites his ex girlfriend. Thinking they're still together, but not knowing that they broke up a week and a half ago. The ex-girlfriend, who's embittered by the whole thing, brings along a handsome new boyfriend. Mm. Uh, And she also, Grace, the sister, also accidentally invites um, the boss of her brother, (laughs) who's like an arrogant blowhard who, you know, is constantly getting drunk and hitting on people. And then uh, this guy, Eugene, who Elliot played, who is... Um, you know, kind of like a awkward, but also like scheming IT guy who works at a like a at a Radio Shack type <laughs> store, <laughs> Data Zone. Yeah, called Data Zone. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh, you don't really know why he's there. He's more of like a mystery character, and then you find out at the end that he's there because um, Simon, the main character whose surprise birthday party it is, he sold a computer to Eugene on Craigslist, but it was completely broken and busted because his ex-girlfriend poured coffee on it and completely dismantled the whole thing uh, after they broke up. So everything kind of ties together. (laughs) Um, And by the end, you're kind of like, oh, okay, that character and that character and that character kind of have some sort of a relationship to each other. Mm. Um, Was that something that you, as you were starting to write it, were you envisioning the connections between the characters or did they sort of come out as you were writing it? Yeah, I mean... um, it's interesting. I know it was a while ago. So. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, it's such a good question. And it's interesting to talk about it because I think that the writing process, anyone who writes, you know, and if this episode is about anything of your podcast, certainly what I would like to focus on is um, the, the difficulty of writing because it is really hard to write something completely out of thin air. Certain people can draw on 
personal experiences and write that. You know, if you had a traumatizing breakup or if you had an experience where you were robbed on the street or if you had an experience where you lost a job that you thought you were really qualified for, you can craft that into an interesting story. If you have an experience as an athlete or a singer, you know, Jeremy and I, we were completely making up a story that neither of us had any sort of background in. You know, some of the characters we kind of related to, but by and large, we were drafting, you know, and pulling from our imaginations. Mm -hmm. As much, not to say that, like, I am Dr. Seuss because he's an incredible <laughs> author and I'm a fucking kid. But, like, you know, there's about as much logic to our play as the Lorax. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Um, you know, we, I think the difficulty for us was, okay, how, what's the tone and how are we going to find these characters? And, you know, you pull from things that you love. I mean, whose line is it anyway was mm -hmm. a big influence. Seinfeld, Jeremy and I tried to write Seinfeld stuff together. You know, a lot of the play is very Seinfeldian mm -hmm. in the jokes and in the delivery and in the way it all ties back in the end. Was there a lot of physical comedy or am I, am I making it up? There was. There was a good amount of it. Yeah, I mean, That's it's, very Seinfeldian of you. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, the whole thing is a farce and farce is a tough genre of theater to, to write. It's basically a comedy, you know, comedy of errors. Um, the, I define a farce as a comedy of errors a play in which the audience knows things that the characters don't. And like a set of dominoes, the plot moves forward and progresses at a uh, in a series of unfortunate <laughs> events. So it gets to a boiling point where the main characters are like completely frenzied because they're trying to put out fires all over the place. Right. Um, and you have to have like 16 doors that yeah. are opening and slamming <laughs> the whole time. And yeah. we didn't have, and you guys saw it, we didn't have doors in the original production. It was You didn't more, have a single door, I think? We, we did have doors, but we, it wasn't like noises off right. where it was like door, 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 door. Yeah. It was like someone would go out onto the sliding window yeah, fire right. escape <laughs> or someone would go out the front door or slip into the bathroom. Yeah. So there were a couple doors, but it's mainly about entrances and exits. So like mm. one character will exit as another char character leaves. Mm. So that there's like this really nice flow throughout the whole thing it's kind of what we wanted um but certainly you know i think the really difficult thing about writing is um you know it, it, it does it track which is basically a way of saying like it doesn't have to like be logical so much as like would this in this world make sense you know would it make sense for this character to do that or would this character to do that and that's harder when you're making up a story and scenarios completely mm -hmm. based on nothing at all as opposed to reality, a true person or an experience of your own life. Hmm. So, um, but you know, anyone who saw the show, like the whole premise of it is so ridiculous. It would never, it's not like someone would be like, that could happen in real life. <laughs> um, it's very like fantasy and very goofy and very silly. I think hmm. there's like a touch of magical realism in it, you know, so. Hmm. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you were just in it. You can speak to kind of the flow of it and the logic. Hey, there's a musicality to it that's just, I mean, it's just, I mean, you're, you write people so well. Uh, I mean, I, my favorite character in the piece is, uh, is, uh, um, the boss. Uh, Jamie. Mm -hmm. Jamie is the, is, I mean, and you got two of the funniest people I, I know. know to play that part. I know. The cool thing about that part and a lot of parts in the show is I think that, it, it re they're all such characters they really give whoever the actor is to like make choices mm -hmm. yeah. you know I think each of them found different ways to you know uh, harness whatever energy they had and, and bring mm -hmm. it out into the show and they made completely different choices you know mm -hmm. Maggie was like 
drunk and stumbling around. <laughs> and Madeline was a lot more like deep voice and, you know, power and authority. <laughs> and she was like, well, I'll say this, you know, she did it at like a 1920s floozy, you know, and I just, <laughs> they both were so different. And yet they yeah. were both right for the show. So... That yeah. says a lot about the writing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I live for Madeline's deep voice. It's so... Well, you Madeline hear was her our, really last, doing. our last guest. Yeah, I want to hear her episode. Yeah, she does a pretty good job. She Mary Kondo's my wardrobe. Yeah. Um, uh, everything sparked. Life joy, has been so changed there was no, forever. Yeah, no, tidy, everything, in there up, buddy. <laughs> everything in there sparked joy. There was no way I was getting rid of anything. I mean, have either of you ever written anything before? Yeah. I, I, I think of you both mainly as performers... In the world of theater, obviously mm -hmm. you act a lot and, um, you know, I saw you in shows as well and I know that you obviously did a lot with like education and special mm -hmm. education and stuff like that, but um, have you ever written anything, either of you guys? Yeah, I wrote a horrible play. <laughs> you did write a play. What was it called? I was in uh, the playwriting course at Everson. Uh, oh, cool. So I with, was forced. With Clark? Yes. What, when were you in that? My last semester, I think, or my second to last semester, yeah. Oh, and so man. I... I I was trying to do what you were explaining, which is writing something that you know, but yeah. didn't really know it. It was like a projection of what I know, which was I tried to write this like drama surrounding a family of a, a son who had autism, uh -huh. which is like too big of a topic for a college student, in my opinion, to take on. But it was something that I felt when I sat down and I was like, okay, I need to write a play for this course. Like, I'm going to write something that I feel excited about, like something that I care about. And so I wanted to write about like a family that was struggling with it. But it it wasn't as seamless, you know. Can I ask you a question? Um, this, I mean, I, I wish I fucking knew this about you. I guess I don't. But do you have a sibling or someone in your family that has... That is on the autism spectrum. No, no, I okay. just have ex have. You just have a lot of experience and, and that's a good in that point, world. Is that no? I don't. Ha so I didn't. I didn't have the experience of being a fam in a family with someone with autism, which was what I was trying to write. So that uh -huh. maybe wasn't. That was probably the mistake. I've only had experience, you know, in my professional world and in my you know volunteer work and stuff like that. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was hard. A family dynamic is is especially challenging I think to write as well so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it's scary we I mean in that class if I'm sh you, it seems like you took it as well um you have to have <laughs> you're forced to have people read it as a reading in the class you have yeah. to cast people and do it and it's like that was the day I was just like dreading it and dreading it and dreading did it did you finish it yeah you had to have something finished by the you, end you right? either had you have to have to... like all of one act well, were you doing act? Were you were you in playwriting one or playwriting two? Playwriting one, one was where you just did a one act. And so I then, think I did a one. I think I think I asked if I could just do the first act as if it was going to go on to do, to a, do second a second act, act because right. the oh. way it was forming as I was writing it, I was like, this is too much. But right. see, that's interesting. The and I want to get to you writing yeah. as well. But the interesting thing I think about about a show and write or just writing anything is. You know, you kind of want to feel it's it's hard. You know, writing something and then having somebody else see it or read it is very vulnerable. But you also want to be like confident in the piece. Mm -hmm. And I feel like perhaps you you did was it that you didn't think that the characters were good or that the story was interesting or just that you didn't think of yourself as a as a writer? What were what were your doubts? Yeah, I think the doubt was 
in that there were sort of these like loopholes or like these big like jumps in the story that weren't that I didn't feel like I knew how to right. build them up right. to happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so difficult not playing the end of a scene when you're starting to write something, when you know what you want it to be, where you mm-hmm. need it to get, and you end up just writing that well, that's, from the start. That's yeah. why I'm interested in, in Charlie's specific case, because it's like you knew you were going to do just a scenario where shit went wrong, right? Yeah. Like, So that could mean so many things. Whereas if you get too specific when you sit down to write it, it's like, well, now how do I get back to that thing that I wanted to happen? Yeah. I mean, you did what I didn't do, which is you wrote about something that you cared about. And <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> I mean, I don't fucking care about birthday parties. I certainly don't care about the IT guys of the world. Or... That much is apparent. <laughs> <laughs> As a character, of course, I care about Eugene's development. You know, <laughs> I want him to have an arc, a narrative purpose. What an arc. To rival Noah's, I'd say. <laughs> to rival Noah's. But uh, you, you wrote about, you know, a tough t- a tough subject that you had a lot of experience with. And maybe you were like, maybe, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you looked at this and you were like, this doesn't really do justice to the experience of what it's like to be in this world. Yeah. You know? And I think that's tough because you put pressure on yourself to get it accurate or get it exactly right. right. I was trying to, like, accomplish something with yeah. it, which is... But that's admirable. I sure, mean, but as your first thing you've ever written... I know. And lofty like, goals are great, I think. You know... Lofty goals, lofty failures. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> <Up in, laughs> Who said that? Socrates? <laughs> <laughs> I think Charlie Greenwald wrote that. Um, I got another whole... Oh, there you go. I saw oh, it on wiki it. quotes. This going out. Yeah, man, you got to stop puncturing your sweaters. Jesus, <laughs> what the hell's here, going on here. here? I get hungry. I'm sorry. It's unbelievable. <laughs> He's the hungry caterpillar. <laughs> yeah, the hungry, the hungry. Eating little nibbles of my it's sweater. Like you got chicken pox over there for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, but what did you what? Yeah, so tell us. what did you write? So she wrote um, about. So I well I did playwriting one two and then the playwriting class for like lit majors too at Emerson okay. and I did all that and I I, I wrote some weird plays um, but I write films too and I make these films and yeah. I've been doing that for a number of years um, I just in fact did a reading last night for one that I'm about to put up with um, Madeline Addis and my roommate Julian and uh, uh, Josephine Cooper and. Uh, we're going to shoot that in the middle of June. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely uh, I absolutely adore writing. Um, I used to hate it. Uh, I used to like just, you know, adapting something. Yeah. Because uh, I always thought, you know, I'm no Bill Shakespeare. I'm not going to write dialogue. But, um, <laughs> right. you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough ask and it's exhausting writing something. It, yeah. it takes something out of you to, to really, you know, sit with something there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, yeah, I, I, it's something that I do now all the time. I'm always thinking of something new to write. So you're, you, I mean, you're an actor. Yeah. And I think that that's probably what you would identify primarily Absolutely. as. But you also love to write and you're constantly writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, y- you know, w- what do you find is the biggest challenge of writing? And how do you feel when you feel like you finished something? Are you... Are you like Ellen in that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to show this to people? Or are you oh more, God. are you, not that that's necessarily how you were. That's me. <laughs> oh, except it is. No. <laughs> but are you more like, 
are you more like, all right, this is pretty good. I, I need to get some eyes on it and get some feedback. I need to get – I'm always about getting feedback. Whether or not I'm going to take it is, you know, a, <laughs> a, another I think situation. tough shit. <laughs> it's not changing. <laughs> Thank you for your like, time. Something that I've really been leaning into now, a friend of mine coined this when he watched a couple of my films. He's like, you know, you've got this really interesting thing going. I, 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 I'd call it hatred of the audience. <laughs> and that's something I'm really leaning into now. Wow. Of like where – I write these films, like, for instance, this thing with Madeline and Josephine, they came to me a year ago, they're like, we'd really love to do something where we play sisters, everybody's always saying we look alike, I'm like, okay, I'll write a thing where you're sisters, so then I write this thing where they play sisters, and then in the end it turns out that Madeline was a test tube baby who was being, you know, brought up to be sacrificed in this cult that Josephine is a part of, and wow. they're not sisters at all, and fuck you, and uh, wow. then at the end of the thing, you know, Danny Foner's gonna cut his hand open and rub blood all over her face, like, that's just the kind of stuff I write. Wow. Um, Ari like, Aster type shit. Oh yeah. Well, let me tell you, Ari's Ari. I I I loved Hereditary until those last ten minutes when he just ripped off Rosemary's Baby. You didn't like that. You didn't like the last uh, ten minutes. The last ten minutes, it was Rosemary's Baby, and Rosemary's Baby was ten times better. But I'm really excited for that new thing. He's yeah, it looks going. whack. I Midsummer mean, what the looks hell? bizarre. That new looks trailer totally for bizarre. It. Yeah. Is movie. whack cool now? Uh, whack. It's a dumb <laughs> phrase. I'm whack? far too white to be saying it. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, just mainly means something's weird and like wild and doesn't it, make it's sense. really it, it's like it's like pastel-y nightmare fuel it's gonna be interesting so you like to write kind of darker de- um, twistier more disturbing stuff yeah I write like I, I, I'm like I think Twilight Zone and like the the old like teleplays of like the 60s where it's one setting and you just get like a good group of actors together right. to just tell this weird story right. like that's the kind of shit I'm into sure mm-hmm. I mean and back to you Ellen like <laughs> I love that this has become Charlie's interviewing us <laughs> I mean, what you guys don't know is that I was a journalism student at Emerson and that was my minor and uh no but actually know, when you do I'm sure I see a podcast starting for you in the future, and we will drop an ad in for it. Oh, absolutely. Point. We also expect to be guests. Yeah, for it. I used yeah. to have a podcast, not anymore, but I would love to do another one. Is it, one still, another is it one. still out there? It's out there. It's on SoundCloud. What's it yeah. called? It's called uh, Don't Click the Headline. And I did it with Jeremy, and we mainly just like went through news topics and just reacted. Oh, I to love it. Nice. Which was, which was fun. But, uh, but back to you, like, I. Like, did you, do you think of yourself as a writer or were you like, I had to do it, so I wrote and that's why I did it? No, I, I definitely don't. I was interested in it and I wanted to see what would happen, but no, I, I wouldn't say I'm a writer. Are you more, would you say, a performer in your mind or even, or more like an educator? I mean, I don't know where you ultimately <laughs> want, and it's a tough question to answer. I don't even have an answer for it myself, but like what area you ultimately would want to be in of yeah. the arts. I but. mean, I think, I, I'm, I'm sure... I know that at one point I really wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a performer. Yeah. And then I sort of got a, like a little taste of it and was like, ah, oh, God, no, wait, never yeah. mind. Like the lifestyle of being an actor, specifically in New York, was like, yeah. I can't. Like I'm just not built for it. So I sort of um, talked myself out of it in a way that I think was actually good for me. So That's good. Yeah, so now I'm sort of interested in, like, the administrative side of arts and the other aspects of it and still keeping involved in it, but... That's great. um, Ellie's been trying to get me in a a film, and I... I've been trying for it, so she just... 
keeps. She's like, I don't have the time for it. I'm like, okay, we'll try again. One of these days I'm going to get it. No, what I say to you is I, I'm not, like, I don't feel qualified. And you always Shut are like, yes, Shut the man. fuck up. You were in Legally Blonde. You carried that whole show on your goddamn shoulders. Let's move on. Wait, at Emerson or yeah. here? She Legally did. Blonde is the... Is were you L? Like, <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how all actors know they've made it, right? Legally Blonde. <laughs> Legally Blonde. I mean, yeah. You're Once really you played L. But you, you, you did, played L, you can play... You did, but you did Hamlet. a ton of work in Emerson <laughs> acting-wise. I think you don't give yourself enough credit there in the acting department. Well, I mean, I... Mean, I I think that in in order to do one of the other, you kind of need to like have a taste of different things. Sorry, I just remember that you were in a play. Yeah, I was. That I saw and everything. Unwrap your candy. Yeah. It's a great play. Which, for despite that like wildly suggestive title, is not really about sex <laughs> and is more like a weird, disturbing. It was like three one acts. Yeah, it was very strange about families and like weird things that were happening in the family. And uh, I was in that play very briefly. How was that performing versus writing? I like performing. Um, I do. I it's, I don't. Sometimes I think I'm good at it, and other times I'm like I'm awful. You know, hey, I, I really have no assessment of like yeah. how actually good I feel like I am at it. But I do feel like if you are interested in you know, acting, it's not a bad idea to write. And if you're writing, it's not a bad idea to act a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because writers and actors and directors, they all work so closely with each other. And so you kind of want to get into the headspace of that person. You know, what are some things that actors really need to hold on to? Well, they want to hold on to, how does this character walk? You know, how does this, what is this guy wearing? Um, you know, what are his affectations? Where is he from? You don't have to do a fucking character bio like I had to do in high school, but... At the same time, like, if you've had a little bit of acting experience, when you're then writing a show or when you're then directing a show, you can talk to an actor and say, mm -hmm. actually, you know what I think would really help is try and do this at, with these next couple lines. Mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. seeing what it's like on the other side is really helpful. And so I feel like since you acted for a while, for a long time, I feel like you'd be a really good person on the other side of theater or mm. film or TV or whatever you wanted to work on. All right. Gonna write a play tonight. I think you should. I only I, the only thing that I say. To, <laughs> the only thing I would say is it's probably gonna suck. Yeah, Ellen. I mean, <laughs> be careful. Tread carefully. Say that, but not for you. <laughs> you fell on your face in school, and you're gonna do it again. <laughs> no. I, the only thing I would say to you though is like, don't. If you want to write something, you know, don't. Don't be concerned about what other people are gonna think of it because. Mm -hmm. Most people have constructive criticism that will make it better mm -hmm. or they'll like it and they'll say, this is actually really funny. I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the benefits of writing with a partner, certainly writing with Jeremy for me, was that I would toss out a joke and in the room I would have live feedback on whether or not somebody thought it was funny. Mm -hmm. So if you have like a friend of yours that you want to write something with, maybe a show about a mm -hmm. family who has a child with autism. And by the way, just because you don't have you know, a, a, a brother or a sister with autism, it doesn't mean that you don't have a ton of experience in the world and you probably know way more than the average person about an interesting story arc that has to do with that environment, mm -hmm. you know. I've always felt that, that if, as long as you're doing the homework, as long as you're doing the research and you, you know what yeah. you're talking about, you can write about things. You just, you just have to know what you're talking mm. about. Yeah, I mean... There are guys writing about dragons on Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's like, that's not a real fucking thing. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're just creating the way dragons behave 
mm-hmm. in their own minds. Yeah. The dragon, the ultimate writer's convenience. <laughs> or the sketch that I wrote for a comedy troupe callback where Marty Miller and I played slutty nuns. Wow. <laughs> I know would, that. Marty yeah. Miller, that's a name wow. I haven't heard in a long goddamn time. I would time. kill to see that. Yeah. I would make that movie. <laughs> You would make it. I would make it. I believe it. the actual storyline was we were ex-porn stars who were forced into nunnery. That's even and better. And <laughs> I'm were you in a comedy troupe? You were. No, no. I was called back for one. I didn't get it. Got but, it. Uh, because I wrote this horrible sketch. Wow. Uh, about porn <laughs> Marty was in a comedy troupe, though. Yeah, Marty, he was in Jimmy's Marty got All-Stars. in at the audition that At I, that one? Yeah. That was the one? Mm-hmm. I like to think it's because of my amazing character development that I wrote for him. I believe the, it. That was a super competitive nun. world, wasn't oh, it? Oh, the comedy Emerson? troupe thing was tough to get into. I mean, I never auditioned for any of them, but I heard stories of friends of mine who did and it sounded like really, really, really cutthroat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just like the acapella groups, you know. <laughs> fucking, was, yeah. Oh my God, I've got a noteworthy audition. Jesus, you know, like, <laughs> have you prepared? You know, it's like, good God. <laughs> I mean, it's like life and death. Uh, just when we think we can't, we've escaped Emerson. It, it never goes away. It us. never goes yeah. away. It never goes away. <laughs> Say I it mean, one more time. It never goes away. I mean, what was interesting for me about this show, too, and I, I think an interesting segue to this topic of Emerson is, you know, I, we, I did it at Emerson, and I was determined to do a reading of it in New York City with no Emerson people. Mm. And then I got to a point where I had cast, like, four of my friends in parts. I'd cast Alicia, who played Grace. Right. I'd cast Alec, who played Gary. I'd played, cast Sean, who played Jed. And I'd cast Tucker, who played Bobby. And suddenly I was like, none of these people are talented. I mean, not to say that they're talented and they're not talented actors. They're not experienced actors. Why don't I get people who I know are talented actors from Emerson um, and actually have the gift? Uh, well, it was, I mean, it was such a smart thing to split it up the way you did where you got the real character parts to be played by actors. I did, and then, yeah. Uh, and then, and the, then more, the normies. The normies were all normies. normies. Pretty much that's exactly... That's pretty much exactly right. Mm. Um, people who had to be broader and bigger, I was like, I need to get actors for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I reached backwards to people like Elliot and Madeline Addis and Zeke St. John and my friend Max Samuel, who I knew from high school, and this girl Kate Ganey. Um, and I had met and interacted with these people probably like a combination of 30 times, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, <laughs> I think that was difficult for me because. You want to you with a piece of work. You want to you want it to be right so badly that you will compromise some of your ideals. Like I was like, I want to. I don't want anyone from Emerson to be involved. I want this to be completely new. And then I was like, What am I talking about? Mm-hmm. All the talented bunch of talented actors that I know are from Emerson. Mm-hmm. So I gotta like reach out to these people, you mm-hmm. know. So that's I think, and then I think that made the show a lot better. Having yeah, mm-hmm. people like Elliot and Madeline and Zeke in it. And it was an incredible shot in the arm for me because I, I hadn't done anything acting wise in New York in a, since I got here, uh, and uh, it was just great to hear some feedback from an audience again. It was just yeah. nice to be like, oh wait, I still can, I can still, I can still get a laugh now and again. Hmm. I it was still nice got to, it. Yeah. I still got it. Yeah. And then, you know, in short order, your mom and then your grandma talking to me. And it was just like, <laughs> oh, I needed to hear some some nice words. <laughs> your mom game? Yeah, and my grandma. My mom made a coffee cake for, for the everybody. show. Everybody had coffee cake. It was incredible. You should was, have been there, Ellen. Yeah, you missed out you on some incredible it. coffee yeah. cake, some incredible playwriting. 
and some very decent acting from everybody. There you go. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts? Do you have any abbreviated advice for someone who? I mean, you've sort of given Elliot and I advice for writing a play, but. Uh, well, I the, the things I can only talk about the things that worked for me. Sure. And, you know, I um, I wrote with a a. a a close friend whose sense of humor I trusted mm-hmm. the whole way through, mm-hmm. you know, and if I write anything ever again, I would like to do it with Jeremy, mm. you know, because that, that erases so much of the doubt that you will ever feel writing is if you have a writing partner, mm-hmm. somebody who is like, yeah, I love that. Let's, let's run with it. You know, what's he ever like? That was garbage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Or like, like that's a horrible idea. Yeah. Like we can't do that. Or that joke <laughs> will not land. Let's pull it out. And then, you know, the other thing that I would say is I, I, I wrote something that I literally, like, I completely had no, exp- I, 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 the whole thing was blank. It wasn't like, I was like, I didn't pull any of these scenarios from real life. Mm-hmm. You know, we made everything up as we went along. And I think there's, a, I think that makes writing fun. If you're so concentrated and bogged down and like, I have to get the details right. Mm-hmm. Like, what would a nurse say in this situation? Or what would an architect say in this situation? Or what would the stepmom say to, you know, her stepson after an awkward family? It's like, just write, just write it. Like, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be accurate. It doesn't have to draw on your experiences and be completely identical to what you experienced so much as you've well-defined characters that the audience can identify with. Um, and then I think the last thing that I would say is just like, if you are, if you do want to write something, like see it through that it, that it sees the light of day. If you want to write a short film, like find a way to make it. If you want to write a play, do a reading of it because these things, they don't do any good. Certainly I didn't feel like our script was doing any good in the four years in between when it was performed at Emerson mm-hmm. and when, we did, when I did a reading of it. I had shipped it off to theater companies and theater festivals and competitions all over the country. Nobody bit. Nobody was interested. One or two people would send like a very gently worded, mm-hmm. you know, like thanks but no thanks type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um there's a theater company called Club Thumb. I don't know if either of you guys have ever heard, never of, it. heard of it. But they were like, we do like artsy, challenging pieces, and this isn't challenging. I was like, you're right. It is. <laughs> it's fucking dumb, broad comedy. <laughs> but um, but if you do write something, find a way. Have an end goal in mind of how is it going to be created. Mm-hmm. If you want to write a short film, make it. If you want to write a play, do a reading of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to write a song, record a demo of it. You know, these things don't do any good if they're not put down and seen by other people. Because then, once somebody else reacts to it in a positive way, it's almost like being an actor. You're like, yeah, like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I should keep doing this. Yeah. And that's a nice feeling. Absolutely. I just did a... Drop the dropping mic. the mic motion with my hands. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are so lovely to talk to. This was so fun. What this are you talking so about? Great. You are so lovely to talk to. You 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 took us in your Under powerful your hands and you, <laughs> you, you created a podcast. I only worry about <laughs> you all gave the... us form. <laughs> I only worry about all of the uh, the name dropping that we did and yeah. the swearing. You know, we're It'll gonna need to redacted. redact. Quite a quite a bit. <laughs> it's all redacted. It's, it's going to be the like wall. the Mueller report. It's just <laughs> the whole podcast is just blue and black lines all over. 
man. Oh, dear. Well, thank you so much. What a time to be alive. Of course, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, do you have anything to plug? No. No, Your but Instagram? I... Not my Instagram. I fucking hate <laughs> social media. In fact, I don't want anyone to know where I live online. Redacted. Redacted. But I would love to do a reading of the show again at, at some point. And if anyone is interested, there was a recording of it that mm. I uh, put onto YouTube. And so you could watch it. Yeah, surprising we'll, time. We'll put reading. the link somewhere. Yeah. yeah, you could put the link somewhere. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, you could definitely do that. Yeah, we can we, figure we'll, that. We'll do that. You're getting paid, goddamn it. <laughs> yeah, this podcast is legit. We're you giving can find fifty some... cents to Charlie for his time. Fifty. That's cents. right. That'll get me uh, a nice gumball at the local <laughs> supermarket. <laughs> Two gumballs. Two. If I play my cards oh, right. Oh, you gotta know where to go. <laughs> if one doesn't get stuck. All right. Well, now I won't sleep tonight. (laughs) All right. See you guys. Whenever we do another one of these things, signing off!